dismiss our little ones for their class downstairs. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to continue in our study of Mary and her amazing response to what really is one of the most perplexing declarations in history. She is being asked to bring God in flesh into the world. Her response is helpful, teaches us a great deal about how you and I should respond to the gospel, to God's call in our life, how we should respond when God asks us to do something that is difficult, and even in our thinking, impossible. And we know that she probably thought that herself because Gabriel is going to say to her, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So this is... Mary helping us understand how to respond when God speaks to us. We saw last week Mary's reserve. She was conflicted. We saw that in verse 27 is where we'll begin our reading, or verse 26, let's begin there. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Did you notice there? God wants us to clearly understand this is a unique situation. There has never been anything like this. There will never be anything like this again. Mary is a virgin. She is not married. She's never been with a man. She is a virgin. Emphasize it. Italicize it. The biggest font you can come up with, exclamation, she is a virgin. Let me take just a little bit of a rabbit trail. I think one of the saddest things I've heard in a long time I heard this week from a man who knows better or at least he should. We were in the Atlanta area as you know for 10 years and one of the fastest growing ministries in that area was North Point Community Church pastored by Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley. <coughs> Andy Stanley this week said he doesn't really have a problem with people who don't believe in the virgin birth. God does. 
God does. With no virgin birth, you understand there's no incarnation. With no incarnation, there's no justification. With no incarnation, there's no resurrection. With no virgin birth and no incarnation, there's no salvation. Now, let's get back to the second, first sermon here, all right? Verse 28, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. That had to, that had to take her aback. I mean, she is a teenager, most likely, maybe about 15. She is from a out-of-the-way place, a place that many people look down on, the city of Nazareth. And yet an angel comes to her and says, God has taken notice of you. And when she saw him, she was troubled, and you and I would be too. This kind of thing just didn't happen. As a matter of fact, another factor to take into consideration, just, just do me a favor, go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Okay. Now, on the left side of your Bible, if yours is like mine, all right, here's Matthew chapter. Let me just show what I'm doing here. Here's Matthew chapter 1. I have a blank page. I don't know what you have right here. I have a blank page right there. I'm going to turn back that one page. All right? You know what that one page represents right there? 400 years. Between the end of the revelation of Old Testament scriptures and the beginning of the New Testament revelation. Do you see the last word? If you have a King James translation, see the last word of the Old Testament. What is it? Curse. Curse. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Whose genealogy are we reading? Jesus Christ. Now here's my point. That one page that represents 400 years is basically 400 years of silence. God has not spoken. When Malachi finished with the curse, God went silent. And now all of a sudden, an angel appears to a 15-year-old girl in an out-of-the-way place that you didn't just go there, you had to be going there. It didn't pass through there. You didn't pass through there to go anywhere. And now he says, God has taken notice of your life. She was troubled and no, no doubt about it. And you and I would have been as well. And later on, we read that she cast in her mind. In other words, she, she took all these things into consideration and she, she, she drew some conclusions but to do that, we also talked at least initially about her response. And we talked about the fact that she's going to gently ask some questions. 
Now it's not a bad thing when you don't, when we don't completely understand all that God is doing or everything that's going on. When we, when we are willing to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm genuinely searching for answers here. He doesn't mind us asking. And if you remember, she asks probably the most pertinent question and one that we would all want to know the answer to. Good night look at verse number 34. And Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I note on a man? You understand what the word know there means? It's the same word we read in the account of Adam and Eve when Adam knew his wife and she bare a son. It's the same idea. And so she's basically saying, I'm a virgin. How can I get pregnant? How can I be pregnant? Now that's a very logical, understandable question because she understood the biological processes. But God is very gracious and God is very helpful through Gabriel to clearly answer her questions. And folks, whenever God asks you to do something and we don't clearly understand it, even salvation, even when we don't clearly understand everything about what it means to truly be a child of God. If we're willing to seek for answers and we really want answers and we're not just skeptics, God will show us. I was talking to a gentleman not too long ago who, in, a, in the course, actually not very far into our conversation, when I asked him what church he attended, he immediately said, I'm an atheist. I'm an atheist. I don't go to church. I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. How did you come to... I, and I asked him, how did you come to... What process brought you to that conclusion? And he told me about some things that had gone on in his life, and he told me about some other... He was very analytical, and, and he just said, when you put things together, that God just doesn't make sense. And I said to him, would you like God to make sense to you? And he really never answered my question, but I'll tell you why I asked him that. Because if he wanted God to make sense, God would show him how he makes sense. And I believe that happens not just for unbelievers, but for believers as well. Because let's face it, we as believers go through things at times that don't make sense to us. Do you think Job really wondered what was going on? When, when within a matter of hours he loses everything he loves and owns. And yet, Job worshipped. So there's some gentle asking. Let's go on now and let's talk about the fact that Mary then goes through what we will call gradual acceptance. Gradual acceptance. Look at verse number 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Now she's not saying, All right, here I am, do you see me? That's not what she's saying. When she says, Behold, in other words, this is an act of 
submission. This is her saying, God, here I am. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Now let's put that in our language. God, I don't really understand everything that's going on, I, but I trust you. I believe you. I don't have to have the answers because you do. So Lord, here I am. And the word handmade, it's actually the word servant. God, I'm just a servant. And so you can do with me whatever you want. She is saying, God, I am willing to follow. Now her son is, is later on in his ministry going to say this. He's going to say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now I know sometimes it's hard for us to think in terms of the fact that Jesus grew in wisdom. In wisdom, he grew in knowledge. Now it's hard again for us to imagine God in flesh learning, but the Bible says he did. And yet he is also all-knowing. Now, we're not even going to try to explain that. Remember, that's one of those things that doesn't quite make sense we trust God with, okay? And yet the Bible says that when, let's say, Jesus was 12 years old, he sat in the temple and he, and he debated with the scribes or the teachers and, and the masters, the teachers of the law. And, and they were amazed at how much he knew. And yet he was also learning. And I've often thought or sometimes have thought, what did he learn from his parents? Maybe... He learned, humanly speaking, what it was like to follow God by watching his mother. Now keep in mind a few things. Keep in mind a few things. When she says... Do unto me, be it unto me, according to your word. In other words, God, if this, whatever you say, I'm willing to follow. When she says that, do you understand? Do we really understand what she's saying? She's saying, I'll take the rejection. I'll take the rejection. Because we know it happened, right? We know that she became basically an outcast. It was possible and probable, and in her thinking, before anything happens, she, knowing 
the godly character of the man she's going to marry, officially marry, that he would probably obey the law and divorce her. Now, now Jewish, the Jewish marriage ceremony, there was a year of betrothal. That's, and that's one of the reasons when, when the Bible introduces Mary to us that she, in verse 27, she's a spouse to a man. She's betrothed to a man. There was a year before the actual marriage ceremony took place, kind of like our engagement period, where they were legally bound, just not physically bound in marriage. During that year before the actual ceremony and physical binding of marriage, in that year, if the marriage needed to come to an end, there actually had to be a divorce that took place, all right? Now, Joseph is a good and godly man. We know that. Mary knew that. She knew when she said, I'll do whatever you say, that she was probably going to lose her husband. She was probably going to lose her family. She was probably going to be cast out of her village. Be it unto me, though, she said, according to your word. How far are we willing to go in obedience to God? I don't ask that lightly. I don't ask that haphazardly. And I don't think you ought to answer it that way either. Because the fact of the matter is, there will come a time in your life where God will ask you to obey and it's going to cost us dearly. So she was willing to live with the rejection. She was also willing to live with the kind of reception she would have the rest of her life. She would always be thought of as an adulteress. And her son would always be thought of as illegitimate. Always. And we know that happened. And here, this next point may be the most difficult for us to even comprehend because we tend to protect this in our lives tenaciously. She was willing to lose her reputation. Right? Have we ever, have you ever surrendered your reputation to God? <clears throat> You know, I think we do that a little bit. I think we do that a little bit. We have to if we're going to trust Christ as our Savior to begin with. But the longer we live this thing called the Christian life, the more we may have to come to grips with surrendering what people think about us. So that we can please God. Are you willing to be a nobody if God asks you to be? Think about it. Mary actually made a decision to serve God, which would put her in a lower place in society. 
right? I mean, she's already pretty far down the totem pole, but now she's going to go lower. How many of us would choose that? We like to be liked. We want to be well thought of. We want to seem successful and appear successful. And yet Mary said, God, this is what you asked. This is what I'll do. No matter what people think about me or my son. Are we willing to obey God when it not only affects our reputation, but it also affects the reputation of our family? You, you're going to accuse me again of being on a hobby horse, and please don't think that, but I think, I, think, I think we need to talk about this. I think one of the great motivators in parenting today is the reputation of our children. And our reputation as parents. Isn't it? We want people to think a certain way about our kids, and so we get them involved in all kinds of things. And I'm not saying those things are necessarily sin or wrong or bad. I will say they can very easily, though, become idols. When we are more concerned about the success of our children than we are about their walk with God... What are we teaching our kids? By the choices we make in our service for Christ. Mary teaches us acceptance, submission. She also teaches us that when we need it, God will give us great assurance. Follow the progression with me here in the text. Remember, now there have been 400 years of silence. God has not spoken by a prophet. There's been no recorded or spoken word from God for about 400 years. Now an angel appears. We can understand the turmoil. We can understand the conflict. And this angel, this angel says, you're going to have a baby. You're not married. You're going to give birth. That baby is God in the flesh. That baby you will name Jesus. We know that from other texts of Scripture. That name, that baby will be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. She's taking all of this in. She understands it's overwhelming. She understands what she's being asked to do. And she submits. But I wonder if there is still in the back of her mind this nagging 
Am I making the right decision here? This gnawing doubt that many of us experience at times. And even even at times when we are absolutely sure of God's next step for our life and we walk through that door and while we when we're through the door and we are doing God's will and fulfilling God's plan, even after walking through the door, sometimes we're turning around to see if it's still open so we can go back through the other way. Because there's this, did I make the right choice? voice in our head. So what does God do for Mary? Well, after the visit by Gabriel, or during the visit, I should say, toward the end of the visit, look there at verse 34. Again, she asked, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest, that's God himself, shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And now notice what he does. Behold your cousin Elizabeth. She has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her. She sits six months along in her pregnancy. Who And, and, and Elizabeth was called barren. She's old. And I, I was reading through it again today and it just kind of struck me as funny. And maybe it shouldn't have because I'm probably there. The Bible uses this expression, they were stricken in years. How many of us feel like that? They were, they were past childbearing. All right? But she's conceived a son. She's six months along in her pregnancy. She's been called barren. Here it is. With God, nothing is impossible. Why don't we need to know that? Don't we need to know that? Now, what we need to understand is that doesn't always mean God's going to do things the way we think He ought to. But it does mean He will do what He knows is right and best. And hey, that's what He'll always do. He will always do what is right and He will always do what is best. So that's when she submits and surrenders in verse number 38. Now, verse 39 tells us she's going to take a journey. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. She, she wants to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a cousin. She wants to visit Elizabeth. And entering into the house of Zechariah and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, that the babe, this is John, John the baptizer, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And by the way, that is not a mantra. That is not something Mary would say of herself or expect others to say about her. And that is more of an offering of praise to the baby than to the mother. 
And whence is this, verse 33, whence is this, or, or how is this that you have come to me? The mother of my Lord should come to me. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Now, now okay, here again, God is giving Mary great assurance Elizabeth's pregnant. She's not supposed to be. She, she, it's impossible physically for that to happen. God made it happen. She goes to visit Elizabeth. And when she greets Elizabeth, this little baby inside Elizabeth leaps with joy. God had to do that. But you know what? I don't think the signs, the leaping, what... What Elizabeth is saying, even Elizabeth's pregnancy is the greatest assurance to Mary. It, it is. It's helpful, but I don't think it's really all that Mary needed. What did Mary need? Look at verse 45. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of these things. In other words, everything that you've heard is going to happen. Notice how she heard it which were told her from the Lord. What was Mary's greatest assurance? God said it. God said it. And you know what? And I think I've said this not too long ago. There, there, there's this thing we like to this, this try little saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know what? That's not right. God settled it. Doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. God said it, that settles it. Mary just needed to be reminded. This is what God said. Now all the other things helped. And I think God will do all kinds of other things to help us. Can I give you a, just a, a, a personal illustration? And some of you know this already. When we were transitioning out of our ministry in Georgia, we knew God wanted us to go somewhere else. We knew that the church there needed to take a step of faith, bring in another pastor. We knew our time there was finished. But as I sought counsel and help from other pastor friends, without fail, every one of them said, don't go, don't resign until you know where you're going. God never told me where I was going. And I will have to be honest with you, I wanted him to. I didn't want to resign. I mean, I have a family to take care of. I had financial responsibilities. Humanly speaking, it was very unwise for me to resign, lose an income, give up an income, and not know where we were going. But I knew God wanted us to. My wife, we prayed. We, the scriptures... They were our assurance. We knew from what God had said in his word and he gave us assurance through his word. It was time to go. I resigned on Sunday. Monday, Roger Wiseman called me to ask if I would consider being the pastor of Marianne. Now, I don't know if that was just desperation on his part. <laughs> Or yours. But it was one of those ways God said, walk through. The door's open. 
greatest friends. There's also genuine amazement. Genuine amazement. I think maybe part of Mary's hesitancy in this whole situation is that she has has a hard time believing not that God can put a baby inside her or that God can make a barren old lady pregnant. I I don't think that she has a hard time with what she sees. I think part of Mary's struggle in this whole situation is that God would choose her. That why, why, why did God choose her? Why not? Why not, let's say, some queen somewhere? Some, some royalty somewhere. Why not send a prophet like Isaiah whose wife is going to bear a son and may have even been fulfillment, earthly fulfillment, immediately immediate fulfillment of that prophecy the Lord Himself will give us a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And Isaiah's wife gets pregnant and has a son. Maybe God would send a prophet whose wife would would bring Jesus into the world. But no, He chose her. Look at what she says in verse 48. For he hath regarded the lowest state. He took into consideration the lowest state of his servant. Look at what she says in verse number uh, uh, 38. Behold the handmaid, the servant of the Lord. She is amazed that God would choose her. I think she's amazed by the plan itself. Wouldn't you be? I mean, you go back through. She she knows Jewish history. God's going to use people like Abraham. I mean, Abraham was a wealthy man. May have been one of the wealthiest on earth at the time in which he lived. He's going, to use, he's going to use royalty. He's going, he's going to use kings and he's going to use priests and he's going to use prophets. And now he's using a virgin teenager. And, and, and that virgin's going to get pregnant and she's going to bring God in flesh into the world. She's amazed by this. Have we really ever been amazed? By grace. I mean, really. We sing about it, but has it ever really happened? I, 
maybe, maybe you've met them too. There have been times that I've, I, I've talked to people about the condition of their soul. And, 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 and you'll ask them if they know they're on their way to heaven. And they're almost offended that you would even have to question that. Well, of course I am. And then they talk about their morality and their goodness. and, and, and They're almost offended that you would have to ask if they're going to heaven as if they are doing God a favor by, by claiming to be one of His children. It's almost like we're helping. Some people feel like they're helping God's reputation. You know what our answer ought to be if someone if someone says to us, are you a child of God? Our, our, our answer should be something like, you know I am, but I don't believe it myself. Not that we don't have faith, but that God would choose me. Because I know what I am. I'm a sinner who deserves eternal judgment in hell. And you know what? Every one of us is like that. And it ought to amaze us that the grace of God would reach down and adopt us out of the family of the devil and bring us into the family of God and give us an inheritance like His own Son is going to receive. A genuine believer will always be genuinely amazed that God included us in His plan. And the amazement is the result of knowing how sinful and undeserving we are. How amazing is God's grace to us. And no wonder, very quickly now, no wonder Mary begins to sing this song of, of glory and adoration to God. It begins there in verse number 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. You know what she's saying? She's saying, I want to make God really, really, really big for other people. I want to show God to everybody. I want to glorify Him with my life. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Maybe that's one of the reasons... Our lives don't attract very many, many people to God. We spend more time complaining and griping and moaning and, 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 and all of those things that would turn people away from God. And why is that? Maybe, maybe because we don't view God like she does in verse number 49. For he that is mighty hath done great things for me. You know what? That ought to be the theme of your life the rest of your life. He has done great things for me. A lot of us look at other people and we talk about the great things God's done for other people. And what we're really saying is, why won't God do that for me? And all the while, he's done great things for us already.
The fact of the matter is, friends, God isn't obligated to do anything for anyone. And anything he does is grace. And anything he does is great. So if God, and it doesn't happen this way, you understand, but for sake of illustration and application, let's think of it this way. If on the day you came to Christ or come to Christ for salvation, when you realize you are a sinner and you want a Savior more than you want your sin, and you say to Jesus, forgive me, I give my life, I'll serve you, please forgive my sin and be the king of my life. When you, or when you have done that, if at that point He saves your soul and for whatever reason He chooses, that's all He does the rest of your life. He has done great things for you. And we really don't have a right to complain. If we would spend more time praising if we would spend more time in gratitude for what he has done rather than griping and complaining about what in our thinking he hasn't done, it just might change the way people think about God because of us. You see, Mary, Mary wanted to magnify the Lord. So she magnified his grace in her own life. Let's do that. Heads are bowed, please, and eyes are closed.